everybody. Welcome to season two of the Mixmasters podcast. I'm your host, Steve Litcher, and for those not familiar, I'm the touring front of house engineer for Stitched Up Heart. Working with Stitched Up Heart has led me to meet an incredible number of really talented people, and I wanted to introduce you to them. I wanted to let you hear their stories and learn from their experiences. This is really your chance to listen in on behind the scenes talk and to learn from some of the best in the business. I have to give a huge shout out to my pal Merritt Goodwin for this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's also an extremely talented composer. Give him a follow on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin or on Instagram at Merritt Goodwin Official. Now let's bring up the faders and jump into this episode of Mixmasters Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Mix Masters, where my guest is Dave Peterson. And if that name sounds familiar, it should. Dave was on an earlier episode of Mix Masters, but I wanted to catch up with him because he's done a lot of really cool things over the past couple of years. He runs one of the stages at Upheaval Festival, which you all know about, but he also has been working with some household name bands and groups like Nelly, Snoop Dogg, Steel Panther, and then also some other notable bands like Keith Whalen and Bill Murray. We have a really good conversation together. He's just a great guy. We always vibe off one another really well. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And as always, subscribe, tell a friend, and stay tuned for more episodes. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Mix Masters, where my guest for the evening slash day slash whenever you might be listening to this and wherever you're listening to this from is Dave Peterson. And if that name sounds familiar, it's for good reason. I've had Dave on the podcast earlier. I believe that you were uh, with me probably in 2021, 2022, it's, but it's been a while. I'm not exactly sure. It's 21. I think you're right. And uh, Dave is joining me from the beautiful state of Michigan, one state over from my home state of Wisconsin. I had the pleasure of seeing you just a couple of days ago, Dave, when I was out in Michigan, out in Flint, doing some shows for the machine shop. We have a mutual interest in that place, mm-hmm. but I've got to ask you, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm excellent. Uh, kudos on your microphone setup. You sound really good, by the way. Oh, thank you. We have the same same thing. I'm going through an Army, Army Babyface Pro for the sake of preamps, and it's, I don't know if you can tell, it's pretty hot. The preamp on this one's pretty, yeah. You're coming in strong. You're, you're at a solid negative 18 dBFS, which is Unity, I believe, in the normal live sound mixing world, so I, I appreciate the attention to detail. <laughs> I'm properly gain stage. We love to hear it. It is one of the one of the basic foundations of what we do, isn't it? It is. It really is. You kind of have to start every day with that. And, and yet we get it wrong sometimes. Mm-hmm. How was your 2022, man? I wanted to catch up with you. Um, I know you've done a lot of really cool things over the last couple of years, especially since you've been on the podcast last. I believe that when I had you on in 2021, it was right after Upheaval. And that was where I would have met you and then started a relationship with you. Um, but I was curious, you know, how was your 2022? What's, what's been going on? I mean, honestly, since that first episode, I've done so much more touring and I'm so happy you asked me to do this episode again, because I, I didn't re-listen to that one, but I did think about it the other day. I'm like, man, I've just gained so much more knowledge and experience than whoever that was on that podcast. So I'm so happy to try to bring that to this. Uh, my 2022 was busy in the best kind of way. And I think we all felt that too. Like 
I started doing some stuff. I I, I did a, a quick, eh, it was like two weeks, three weeks tour with Nelly in a full band situation as a front of house tech. And that was just after I had just gotten that gig right when we had that first episode. So that kind of like, to me is like the start of 2021 because that led me into working with a, the same basically team with um, Snoop Dogg and Mount Westmore. On top of that, having uh, I did a bunch of tours with local bands that I worked with, like a band called a Virtue, um, who they've been doing pretty great as of recently with some really good singles. There's another guy, Joe Hurtler and the Rainbow Seekers. They're just the most fun funk fusion thing you've ever encountered. And it's I'm doing it's that's actually the highest input count band I have right now. And I'm like doing it eh, maybe in like 33 active inputs and doing all their monitors anyway. Um, they're super fun. I worked with another band called Bill Murray, which is just a funny name to say because it just always confuses people because um, they think they're talking, you're talking about like the actor from Ghostbusters, but really you're talking about this like sort of like post metal core twangly thing that is full of memes and like there's like the Taco Bell dong in one of their uh, songs that I just, yeah, those guys are great. And then I run a production company with my dad based out of Michigan. So then just doing all sorts of local gigs from college, you know, like 12 wireless mics for an acapella group to we own two mobile stages and a bunch of line rate boxes and control packages and kind of just doing a little bit of everything. I love it. I want to ask you many, many questions, but the first question on my mind is, uh, it pertains to Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Please tell me that they do a cover of Sonny and Cher's I've Got You, Babe, from the Groundhog Day movie. Oh, no, they don't, but that's a good idea. I may have to text one of the guys I know in that camp Um see if we can get that ball rolling. Well, actually, we can both text Andrew because me and Andrew have both worked with Bill Murray. So I think like as a unit, we could probably make that happen. I'm going to butcher his name, but it's Andrew D. Mercurio. Oh, dude, I feel so... <laughs> Andrew, if you're listening to this, I feel so bad because I do that every single time. I do believe it's D. Mercurio. I believe that is the pronunciation. He's a solid dude. You know, crazy last name aside, although I can't talk. My last name is a tongue twister also, but... <laughs> He is such a solid guy. Uh, I, I had the opportunity of going through his venue, one of his venues, the Crowfoot in Pontiac, Michigan, when I was out with Story of the Year earlier this year. And him and his crew took such good care of us. So it was just a great time. And I really miss Andrew. I've got to have him on as well. Mm-hmm. No, I wouldn't fully recommend. He's got amazing stories and is such like a fantastic engineer and then just person to be around. Like there's just, you you hire people and you hope you get people on your team that just make you feel as like good as Andrew does. <laughs> yeah. And I believe that we have him to thank for the Bayer Dynamic TG71. We do. We do. We totally do. I stole that from Andrew. Oh my goodness. Like five years ago now or something like that. Yeah. And I've just like, as soon as I got it, I told him like, this thing's awesome. And then I've just like tried to like spread that as far as I can. Well, you told me about it at Upheaval, and then right after Upheaval, I went and bought one, and I was like, oh, man, I'm throwing away my D6 and 91. I'm never going to use a different mic combo. I don't need to use a mic combo. I can just get away with the one single mic. And then I've been so happy with it. Everybody that I've toured with, I've told about, and I ran into one of the engineers that I toured with for the better part of six or seven weeks, and when I saw him last weekend, he had G71. (laughs) I love that. So Andrew, if you're not earning a commission from Bear Dynamic, you might want to might want to call them. Bear needs to send him a check. Jeez. Yeah, get that boy paid. 
while while I'm thinking about it too, I stole the the Nick Rucker uh poor man's uh Kelly shoe thing with now I'm doing the 71 and I'm taping the D6 to it. And that that has been I would recommend that too. It gets you a little bit more of that. Like that you can kind of lose a little bit on 91, not to like go down that, but oh, it's been good. Yeah, I remember talking to Brian Campbell in an earlier episode, and I believe that he and Nate Northway or somebody did that with another mic combo, and it worked really well. They used some duvetine or whatever between the two mics to provide some insulation, but I didn't know Nick was doing that with Panther also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, a 901 and a 902, just like crudely taped together, and it it's awesome. Like, it just makes way too much sense and I, I selfishly i love doing that kind of stuff because it's like i don't have to ask for another short stand during the day or i don't have to deal with an lp claw or any of that it's just fast and easy lp claws might be the bane of my existence they're such a great idea mm-hmm. but the execution leaves so much desire in my opinion i've stopped using them entirely because of uh i don't know if you've seen my little camvate little clamps because you can get like five of those for the price of one LP claw. And like, yeah, I think we talked about it. Those can strip out faster, but they're like cheap and they're, you can overnight them on Amazon and they're just, I can throw, I can like carry like 20 of those in my Pelican and like, I can only fit like three claws. <laughs> yeah. Those cam baits are, are tiny, but very versatile, but yeah, I had nothing but bad luck with them as overhead, underhead mm. mounts, but I also was hanging, you know, fairly heavy mics on them. You know what I did for, for with Bill Murray, I did underheads with my SC 4400s off of those. And that was about as much as I think they could handle because, and those are he- heavy quote unquote mics, you know, versus small diaphragms, but uh, those clips are not great. <laughs> and like, that's what caused the most stress. I think for me on that, on that topic. I was using, uh, speaking of Nick Rucker again, man, we're, we're just talking about everybody on this episode. But I stole from Nick um, when I was on tour with Steel Panther uh, doing sound for Stitched Up Heart. Nick's overheads were some of the best sounding overheads I ever heard. Mm-hmm. And he was using the Sennheiser MK4s. Yeah, I believe so. I bought those. And those were what I was using with the Camvate. And they were just too much mic for those little clamps. But not really the fault of the clamp. It's more the, the user. But I still, um, I've now switched over to the SE8s four underheads and I really like those a lot. Although I had to send a pair back, I was getting a lot of clipping from them on my last run with a Treyu. And I don't know if something happened to them, but thankfully SE warrantied them, replaced them right away. And so I have a brand new minty fresh set that's going to go with me over to Europe in a week or so. And I'll be excited to use those. Nice. Yeah. I've, uh, what did I, I've been using also SE eights for actually since that Nelly tour, I was using those on the openers, the whole SE kit actually the whole arena pack. And, uh, I've really been very happy with the eights and like I did the eights originally. And then I, I had, I got the 4,400s and I used those with Bill Murray. And I didn't feel like in that application in the underhead, just trying to get symbol definition thing. I didn't feel like I got anything more out of the 4,400s that I didn't get. And it's like, Oh, well these things are super tiny. And like, I can carry, I carry my whole mic kit in one, like very little condensed gator pack and like the fact that i can fit two of those in the same slot as like a you know v7 or a 58 um so i've been using those and se7s for like hi-hat and then like china just like you know i just need a small diaphragm that's cheap kind of deal yeah i think you know we're we're not at the level of some engineers like you know pooch raybold 
Sully, mm-hmm. those guys, you know, where they really can bring out the nuances of a really nice overhead microphone or underhead mic. I'm just happy to be able to hear my cymbals in my mix and they don't sound like garbage. And so if that's via SE8 or whatever, it, you know, as long as it's not several thousand dollars per microphone with crazy preamps, then I'm happy. I think, uh, and like we both have talked about this, we're in a lot of, we've like done a lot of tours on a lot of teams where we're the only audio guy. Um, and not that, you know, a mic being bigger is saving us a ton of time during the day, but like, it's the fact that when that breaks or it could break, it's just another thing. So having, you know, these clamps and small mics that just go up quick and we're in, you know, we're one man teams. That probably means we're in venues that are pretty small and half the time, I mean, I rarely use my underheads in the house. That's almost always for either I'm selfish and I'm always multi-tracking. So I want some sort of kit image um, or it's in their ears or usually both. Yeah. I mean, I love doing when I can and can justify doing proper overheads on booms that I can measure out with a measuring tape, like do the whole thing. I love it. It's always like the best. But when it's, I got like 30 minutes and five of that is my line check and I just, I, it's, I, it's just gotta be there. <laughs> I've been using my overheads a lot to reinforce my snare. Mm. So I've been, I've been high passing them a lot lower than I normally would have. But I noticed when I was working on multi-tracks for a tray before this last Trinity of terror tour, that is a hard one for me to say. So I apologize to everybody that had to <laughs> listen to the last episode where I was stumbling over the Trinity of terror tour phrase often. But I noticed when I was preparing for that, that I really liked how the snare sounded when I opened up those overheads a little bit and I lowered the high pass. It, it really seemed to work well for some reason. So I did that on this whole run. And thankfully that run was an arena tour where I really needed the overhead mics or underhead mics in my situation. Mm-hmm. But talking about being a one-man audio team, I'm just going to vent a little bit here. So Atreyu runs on a pretty skeleton crew. They are veterans. They have their stuff dialed to the nth degree. Nothing phases them whatsoever. They can, they, Brandon doesn't even warm up our, our lead singer, yet he's pitch perfect and he could hold the microphone behind his back pointing the wrong way. And it would still be right in the yellow on my, on my game staging. It's, I just love him to death. He's so great. I do wish we had more crew members, though. So <laughs> it is uh, it is me and Justin, our tour manager slash drum tech slash playback slash everything <laughs> yep. else, and then a, a guy by the name of Evan Potter who is guitar and bass tech, and just Evan is the greatest guy on the planet. You, I don't know if you've met him, but I definitely want to connect to you two guys because he is quite honestly like the nicest guy on the planet. Super talented a ripper on the guitar you guys would enjoy riffing with together hell yeah and then he's just a really great tech on top of it so he would be responsible for the lighting that we had like our ground package and then everything else fell on my shoulders so (laughs) i would build our monitor in-ear rack wireless rack which were all separate pieces pin all of those pin the entire stage mic up all the drums wire up all the drums run all the cat five from the drum stage box to the mix rack all of the downstage mics were wired, run all of the instrument cable lines and signals, run my cat SAS adapters plus the cat five cables back over for everything downstage, run out front of house, set up the console, do a quick virtual sound check if we had time, mix the show, 
Oh, and I also did monitors from front of house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm sure you've, you've worn all those hats as well. Oh yeah. But it doesn't, even when you have done stuff like that, it doesn't make that less stressful. And it's just the time constraints, especially about being like, you know, one of three on, or one, it would be one of four on this tour for you. Right. Because it's like the three and then it is three total. Gotcha. Okay. Steve giving me like hand signals. <laughs> I try not to interrupt while you're talking. So I, I, did, I, I figured I would just <laughs> motion to you. Um, uh, yeah. Cause like you already are. Yeah. You're at the whims of the, you know, the bands that were on the deck before you. And if they had really easy days, probably you're going to have an easy day. But if one thing went wrong with one and then one thing went wrong with another, you're no, now you're an hour behind and like, Oh yeah, I got 20 minutes until doors. Awesome. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times we didn't get a sound check or we were line checking during people walking in just because there were so many production challenges. Our video wall was, I don't even know how large that video wall was, but it was pure insanity. And depending on how good the local crew was, we were often behind with our setups. So yeah, you you know what I'm, you know the experience. Oh yeah, I felt felt that honestly also like with, with video teams just from just observing and being around like the Snoop and Westmore team that we did a lot. It was a lot of video content. Um, that was always a challenge. Um, sound was usually done first and like kind of easy. Cause and especially when it's like, it's kind of the same thing every day, more or less, especially when we're going in venues that are like, it's another arena. It's another arena. Like, as long as you find the points to hang things, you just hang it how you did prior. I mean, that's coming from the front of house tech also for the record, not the system tech. I wanted to make that abundantly clear because system techs who like do the math and do all of those things. Thank you so much. It is, it is quite a luxury to have those guys on a tour. The Trinity terror Trinity of terror tour was the first opportunity where I've been in that environment and talk about nice. It's, it's so amazing. All right, let's uh, let's jump into a little bit of your 2021-2022 details. You mentioned Nelly, and you were front of house tech for that, correct? Yeah, yeah. What's a what's a day in the life of a front of house tech like on the Nelly tour? Can you walk me through that? Yeah, on that one, um, it started to stabilize a little bit more as we as shows went on. The first maybe I don't know four or five shows, we didn't use the entire rig it was a lot of smaller venues where you know we have to dump like a quarter of one of our trucks kind of thing so once we got into like more real venues um my responsibilities for that tour were building the front of house package um every morning um which included uh, an sd12 um what else a bunch of outboard gear um doing that kind of just helping tune the system i would pin the entire stage for that, which I think we were somewhere around like 48 inputs with talkbacks and stuff like that. It was a, it was a full meaty drum kit and like synths and a guitar player and then a bunch of tracks and a DJ. And then we had, you know, an assortment of wireless mics for guests. Cause those kinds of tours, you end up just having to have something ready at any time because you just get handed, Oh, we're going to do this now, by the way, Oh, this guy's here. He wants to come on. Like it just happens. Um, so I did that in conjunction with there. We had a monitor tech as well, who was also just the monitor engineer um, on some of those tours. You had two separate ones. We did also have a separate um, 
front of house engineer, which in this instance was actually also our system tech. Talk about like, that was another tour where of like everyone, and maybe this is just a commonality. Maybe this is just how it always is. Everyone's wearing like maybe one more hat than they really should have to. And probably not being compensated enough for it. But that's a, that's a whole different, <laughs> that's a whole different thing. But yeah, so I, you know, it kind of went day to day. Most of the day though, it was, you know, pinning the stage, helping build whatever needs to be built at the end of the day. And then I would take care of all the, op- anyone who wasn't Nelly and didn't have their own engineer, which we had pretty regularly two um, opening acts. And luckily it was the kind of scenario uh, where they shared a lot of backline. So most of the time, like the drums would stay the same, maybe snare would get swapped out and some cymbals or stuff like that. Um, but I didn't have to do too, too, too much um, in that regard, which is really nice. Any cool microphones or, or gadgets or toys on that run? Ooh, what did we use that was kind of fun? We start, I'm just thinking like drum wise, we started with, with 414s for overheads and uh, it was mainly audits kit. And then I got after the 414s and just, just setting it up every day and the stereo image was never consistent enough for. And I just, yeah, we just swapped to underheads. I think, oh, we swapped to like three or four KM 184s for underheads, which was nice. Um, what else? I'm trying to think what else was like fun for that. Outboard gear wise, I mean, we had two Bricasties, we had two Portico twos, we had two API 2500s. This is all the front of house rack. Um, were those used mostly on vocal chain? Um, what was it? Um, one distressor did kick snare bus, one distressor did bass. API 2500 did uh, a stair, I think a stereo drum bus. Um, and I think it, there's also like, it was also used on keys. Casties were two reverbs, long and short. Uh, what else was it? I, that, that? Those are the key points I remember of that rack. Doing pretty good given it was 18 months ago or, yeah, or something like I, that. So. <laughs> I'm like very visual. Uh, there was a Meyer, there's a Galileo in there. Um, I think it was a 408. Um, which we used as our just like main tuning processor. Um, Tom, the system engineer, he would tune it. Uh, we carried a, I think we carried in total 32 boxes of K2. And I want to say about 24, I want to say they're SB28s. And then some Kiva front fills. And then he would just do all of the time alignment and tuning of the rig in that. Um, and then Chad, who was the front of house at the beginning, Tom eventually took over. Um, but Chad would then tune again to his own vibe, you know, with the gal, you know, as one does, you know, if the system doesn't sound exactly how I want it to sound for whatever reason, I have my nice, whether it be a Galileo or a Lake or an XDA, you know, you have your little nice EQ to redo it, how you hear fit. Did you uh, fly subs on that run? We didn't. No, we uh, mainly ground stat and just right across the front. And it's one of those things where it's like, it's a hip hop tour. They want it to bump back on the stage. Like when you start doing cardioid and like the fun stuff that we like to do, the artist starts to get kind of not so cool with it because you're, you're killing the vibe. I heard a, uh, a fun story from Pooch. He may have told it on this podcast. I can't remember though, but I believe he got hired to do sound for some hip hop artist's birthday in Nashville and it was at the Bridgestone arena and he was using the Claire cohesion system with their subs. And those subs are monsters. Oh, 
So good. <laughs> and they he had spec'd out, I believe, eight subs for the arena. And they they tested it and it was just like punishing. He said it was just crazy oh, the amount of bass. Nuts. And the hip hop artist came in and saw the eight subs, and that wasn't cool. He said, We need more subs. And they played the system for him. And he's like, that's good, but I need more. I need to see more subs. So they just brought in like a bunch of like JBL boxes and just stacked them around. That's fantastic. He pro- honestly, they probably wanted them to walk on. Like they use them as a thrust. Like a lot of hip hop artists will get out on the subs. Um, that's crazy. Eight subs for Bridgetown. Cause I've done, I've done Bridgetone twice now. Um, and we had, I think like 28. That was when we, at the very, it was the last show of the Nelly tour. We went and got more subs and a bunch of other like, extra stuff because it's nashville and like all the everyone in the business is there the guest list is massive i'm building like a whole other front of house which is really just a vip section um so it's gotta it's gotta be the show in like that sort of a country hip-hop thing that's eight of those those do rock though well i was literally just talking to nick i don't know an hour ago um and uh we're like we both just love having a single 18 clear cohesion as our drum sub it's like it's just so monstrous i didn't know you had that oh yep yep we use a we use a we have a butt kicker and then we also have a single 18 or we like we rent typically a single 18 cohesion um and just put it right behind sticks and it just whoo yeah it's no matter what room we're in he's having like an arena show i love it those guys are such great guys the steel panther guys fantastic so good yeah we'll talk about them too because i don't think you mentioned them in your little resume review there mm, but no, we'll, I haven't. but that's a pretty big gig and i think you've got some exciting things going on with that so let's jump over to westmoreland and uh or westmore not mm-hmm. westmoreland i used to live on a westmoreland street so that <laughs> probably is where my freudian slip came from but the mount westmore snoop run were you yeah. uh, system teching that front of house tech? What were you doing on that tour? Uh, front of house tech, very similar capacity to Nelly. Um, a lot of the shared team, different front of house guy, same monitor guy. So it felt very familiar. Um, basically the same gear too. Like I kind of just went back uh, after we did Nelly. I flew, eventually I flew out to Gateway, which is a Gateway Productions is a company that's been here or there providing for those tours, at least when I'm working with them. Uh, and I just rebuilt racks really quick because um, we swapped from Digico to uh, we at front of house. We kept an SD12 at monitors and then we moved to an SXL uh, 32D for front of house for um, Brian B-Hub, Brian Hubbard, who was the front of house engineer for Snoop. For a while, for on that run, um, he had to step away due to some medical situation, which he's now fully recovered, thank God. But uh, yeah, and same kind of deal. Good amount of outboard gear. A lot of the same stuff. What did we end up using? 2290 delays. That was the first time I had used one of those delays. And I was like, oh, okay. Because I've been such a, you know, I want to keep everything in the box as much as I can for convenience. But there's there's a there's a spicy, there's there's something tangible to that delay that I'm like, okay, this this would be a fun one to have. It's sort of like John Tanner and his uh, Rocktron that he's got at the machine shop. I got to steal that from him. I got to find one of those and steal. That, that is really his trick. If you haven't heard it, I'm not even going to like try to describe it. It's kind of like a slow down thing. 
And honestly, I think the half of the best part is like John's face when he does it. I think it's it's the twofold. It's an amazing effect, but also how into it he gets when he does it. And it's always like perfect. Like <laughs> he's the master uh, of that thing. And and when I went out to go help him set up the the D live at the machine shop, the most important thing was not really setting up his busing or figuring out how he was going to run the console. It was getting that Rocktron <laughs> inserted properly <laughs> and having the fader where he needed it so that he could mute it, throw it higher or lower, whatever he needed to do. But I don't know if for people who may not be familiar, the Rocktron's an old analog sort of tape delay unit. And it is, it is really a cool device, but now he's got two of them at front of oh. house. So he's just got two. <laughs> yeah. He's got one that he leaves just set up for, I believe for like long holds, long throw. And then he's got his other one that he uses more regularly throughout throughout the performance. But they, I'm with you. I don't want to carry outboard gear. I think I want to carry outboard gear, but then in reality, it doesn't make any sense. But I would carry a Rocktron. Those things are pretty awesome. Be cool. That's a, that's another thing in my 2022 recap that I didn't really mention. That when I am home, I am like the monitor engineer at the machine shop, which is such a fantastic home gig to have and just such a good environment to work in when I'm not on the road. I don't mean for this to be a commercial for the people that we like, but I really like, we the like machine a lot shop. of people. And there's some cool people and people deserve to know that they're cool. <laughs> yeah. Kevin and the crew at the machine shop are just second to none. They do everything right. They're just salt of the earth. Greatest people ever. Mm -hmm. I drive happily. I drive seven hours from Madison to Flint to go mix a show on monitors there just because I really enjoy it and and I enjoy seeing all those people. Did so. you use my file, Steve? <laughs> no, I used my file. I had... Uh, oh, why? <laughs> I think... I, I don't know, actually, who's... It doesn't matter whose, like, base file was, but it was for a minute mine, which is just funny to me. I believe yours is the base foundation file that everybody else has got modified from. Mm -hmm. That's scary. <laughs> When I was looking through the assortment of show files, I saw a bunch of names that I didn't recognize, but I saw Dave in slot 000102. <laughs> yeah, I kind of claimed that. <laughs> As you should. Honestly, yeah, and what, you know what I love about now that started happening with me going out on these other runs is like the fact that people just everywhere I go, someone's wearing a machine shop shirt, someone's got a hat on or something like it's just everywhere. And it's so nice to come back and tell them about all the cool stuff. But I mean, selfishly, it's cool to be like, oh, I work there. And they're like, no way. And I'm like, I know, I kind of feel that same way too. Like, it's just so, it's such a great spot. I was in Tulum, Mexico, wearing my machine shop hoodie on the beat because it was sort of chilly. And somebody, I, I believe they were local, came up and said, machine shop. I love machine shop. I was like, oh my goodness, you're <laughs> 5,000 miles away. How do you know about the machine shop? Yeah. It's so it's legendary. So, mm -hmm. Okay. So you did Snoop, you did Nelly. Let's talk a little bit about Upheaval because that's sort of chronologically the next thing that comes to mind. Upheaval 2022. Was this year number two, three for that festival? This was two. Year two. two. So you've been, you've been to every Upheaval still, Steve. I hope to maintain that record going forward. Me too. <laughs> and you ran the lookout stage again, which was the higher stage geographically, the way that the park is set up for those not familiar. Is it in, it's in Lansing or Grand Rapids? Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yep. So there's this massive park in downtown Grand Rapids. 
it's there's a super high elevation area which is called the lookout stage a massive hill i don't even want to try to calculate what the grade is on that hill it's horridly inconvenient right <laughs> and then down below like on what would be like almost like a baseball diamond looking area is the main stage the the massive stage i believe that's a big huge stage line but uh sound effects your company that you run with your dad uh provided the stage and pa and all the production for the lookout stage you want to talk us through that rig a little bit because it's a it's a pretty interesting and impressive system for the size especially but i i thought it really but you know it's one of those things that i'm always surprised how much i like the boxes that i own because uh for their db technologies t12s we it's it was uh we hung four side on a stage line so 100 and then we had, I think, three aside of their uh, S30 dual 18 subs. And like, I'm surprised how often I come back to that PA and still I'm like, man, this does sound good. Like for how cheap those boxes are in comparison to, you know, like mixing on D&B and K2 and all these other like very nice line arrays, I'm still kind of just like shocked how much I enjoy that system. And yeah. Um, so that was the main thing. We also provided all of the lighting, which this year, I don't remember, it's kind of a collection of smaller Chauvet movers and some hazers. Um, that stage usually ends really before it gets dark. So lighting has always been kind of not that important to all parties. That's where I introduced Steve to Andrew because um, he's our LD. And I hire Andrew because he's an LD and he's everything else. So it's just, you know, I just like having him there. Uh, my buddy Reese, who Steve got to meet and kind of work with and show some stuff, he was there. And uh, yeah, it was just kind of, to me, like just one of those festivals. And then like, and then we tried to shove nothing more on it and then. <laughs> I was going to say, we had, a, we had a full DLive production suite. You had your That's right. C3500 out front running off of your... CDM 48. And then I had my CTI 1500 at monitors running off of my CDM 32. And we sort of cheaped out. We did the copper split. We didn't do the full gig ace split of everything, but it seemed to work really well. I thought like everything went smoothly. No, no complaints from anybody about anything that I detected. Yeah. And like when it's, it'd be one thing if we knew for a fact that like me and you would be the engineers all day. I like having copper splits for when we may have guest engineers because it's just one less thing on their plate of like, oh, by the way, you technically don't have gain control. And they'd be like, what? <laughs> like, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, and we did, have a, we did have a bunch of engineers come through with their own desk because we mm -hmm. had uh, nothing more, like you said, they were on a DLive S5000. Yep. Had Avatar, who used your C3500. Yep, I built, I built a, oh... Arnie? Arnie. Yeah, Arnie. Yeah, he was awesome. Yeah. I really like that guy. Arnie's fantastic. Super chill guy. Yeah, I built his file with him and we didn't, I don't think we had any sound check. What was going, there was something going on that day. Oh, that denied us of a sound check for some reason. And I don't remember what it was. It may have been weather or I don't, I don't quite know. Um, but I remember, cause I remember just going through EQs and doing EQs with him and we didn't, they didn't do a sound check. They, oh, were they late? They may have been late. <laughs> ah, it's always that. But uh, yeah, and it was just one of those things. We built the file together and first song comes on. It sounded great. And I was like, okay, cool. I helped him and he knew what he needed. And it was just a very, very satisfying moment. Yeah, and it sounded good too for, mm -hmm. for a, literally a throw and go with no real sound, no sound check to speak of, no just, just a line check. It was great. 
And then Brian Harswick came, and I think he was watching us too when we were standing there. <laughs> yeah, he was there with Starset, mm -hmm. and Starset was down on the the lower level stage. And then we also had the Warning, which they really kicked butt. They they mm -hmm. were really fun. I I enjoyed doing monitors for them. That was a great. They were just so great. Mm. And then we had um, Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones. We had him. That was the guest engineer. He had that we brought the SC forty eight for. Uh, warning was on. They're on an LV, like a like a properly built LV one rig. Like uh, I don't. Is it like Obsidian cases? It may have been a Circle three rig or so, something. One of those you know purpose built dual touchscreen LV one. I think two RU like in the bottom for the server kind of thing. Yeah. And he was getting rained on the whole time, which I felt yep. bad about. Yep, we did. Yeah, the weather was as as Michigan usually is, unpredictable and cruel. Um, <laughs> I'm still surprised that I'm able to do events outdoors in this state sometimes. And I know you feel that in, in the same ways in Wisconsin. It's not climately very different. No, but thankfully I sold all of my big production gear, so I don't have to worry about any of that any longer. I love it. I'm so happy. Smart guy. <laughs> I'm always learning something from you, Steve. Although you're looking to uh, you're looking to upgrade your rig, expand it quite a bit, right? You're looking at the DB VIO mm -hmm. system. Have you made any headway on that? Um, we were looking at some VIO. Um, we also made another sizable investment in DLive recently for what hopefully involves lots of flying around with me and Pelicans and stuff like that. I don't want to give away too much here. It's just us. You don't have to worry. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's just one of those, like we were looking at new boxes and then I've, I mean, I've always been super passionate personally about control packages. Um, I think I just come from the mindset of I'm going to be a tuning engineer and thus I don't get to carry a PA most of the time. So I would rather invest in the things that I can use every day, no matter what, you know, the mics I like, the consoles I like, that kind of stuff. So that's kind of where my brain has always been. And I've noticed there's other people who are the exact opposite. They're very much like speaker guys. And I'm very happy they're speaker guys because I want to make decisions that come out of well-tuned and hung and phone speakers. So yeah, it's always been honestly a little bit of a back and forth between like, do you get more boxes because now you can go do more events or do you invest in things to make maybe the event's not better, but like how you execute the event better or seem just easier, even if the client doesn't necessarily hear or feel that, that investment, you know, it's like in good wireless mics, like technically you could get away doing a lot of shows on like sure BGs and like just kind of hoping that you don't have RF issues, especially when you're in like more rural environments. Um, but, you know, having QLX, ULX, or heck, maybe even Axiant, that would just make the day just be way easier and just everyone has a better time. So there's a lot of those battles. And then uh, knowing where you are in the market, that's a whole other. That's, now we're going down business rabbit hole, which I'm happy to do so because it's, it's business decisions that impact what gear I get kind of thing and vice versa. And what, what gear I want is impacted by the business stuff. Well, you guys have a fair amount of the T12, right? Because you also have a system that's, I'm using air quotes here, installed at Bell's Brewery in Kalamazoo. And that is... Same ring. Actually, I think we packed the truck for a, a upheaval sideways <laughs> on that stupid incline. Oh, I um, forgot about that. Yeah. And then I'm like, everyone's like launching me stuff into the... Me and Reese were in the back of the truck and then everything's rolling back out of it because I, I think I... I may have parked it that. That might be my fault. But anyway, 
Um, yeah, and then we drove to Bells the next morning. That was fun. Um, so Bells, yeah, we own uh really we only about own twelve T twelves, and then we own eight T eights. And well, I thought it was more than that for some reason. You can get away with you know hanging ten of those boxes aside for the most part. Um, we consistently do like concerts for like five thousand people. Like SL two fifty two sixty gigs, kind of where that rig caps out. As far as like good coverage, we do lots of corporate events where it's like you can't. If you wanted to hang the proper amount of speakers to cover this area, you're gonna have to call Claire, and you're gonna have to spend six figures on just boxes. And they don't—they're not looking to do that. So we just put whatever we have up. And I think there's a lot of regional companies that operate in that margin. Um, so. Yeah, we've been able to get away with that many boxes and just uh I've been really happy with just doing that level of production too. It's it's especially when then you just know everyone in your shop. It's like, you know, the company really is only like three guys, like realistically and then we you know, we have lots of really good friends who are fantastic engineers like yourself that we can call upon, you know, as gigs need and as we can afford <laughs> as we can afford to pay our friends because I don't I really really like paying people what they should be paid and what's worth. I don't like calling in favors, especially like people who got to drive and are missing out on other gigs and stuff like that. It's not about the money, but like, I know it's always, it makes me happy that I can pay someone exactly what I think they're worth. Yeah. I'll say, uh, you guys were very generous and I definitely appreciate you asking me to help out with, a with upheaval. I enjoyed it for one, but you definitely took great care of us. Awesome hotel, great crew dinner. You know, everything was just Spot on. Fantastic. So thank you. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to the next time. Yeah, me too. I hope I'm around. I hope I'm not. I, I never thought I'd say out loud that I hope I'm not on tour, but I hope I'm around for upheaval and, and not. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, like, I hope that honestly, that there's not an opportunity that I feel like I have to turn down to do upheaval or vice or that I can't do upheaval because I got something that was just so spectacular. Like it is, it is the gig that I can tell I look forward to the most during the year. And it's partially because it's my favorite genre of music. Um, and now kind of like, as we mentioned before, like we just know so many people that work with bands within the genre that it's now turning into just one of those festivals where you see all your buddies. It was so crazy at Upheaval. I think we saw Eric Rogers. Mm -hmm. We saw Ashton Parsons, Brian yep, Hardiswick. Ashton. Yep. We saw Ross Landis. Yep. I'm, I'm drawing so many blanks here and I apologize for people. That I forgot to call out, but yeah, I got tired running up and down the hill because somebody would be on the main stage. They'd text me, Hey dude, come on down and check out my mm -hmm. show, run down, listen for like 10 minutes, run back up, do our show, run mm -hmm. back down, see somebody else. That was, that hill is just such a pain. Knock on wood. I am hearing that that may not be an issue in 2023. I don't know anything for certain, but the conversations that I've had and heard with the promoter is leaning towards maybe no hill or I, I yeah I don't know there's something I just really honestly and you know I don't want the hill because the sound ordinance I mean I, got, I may or may not have caused a ruckus maybe a little too early in the day and that's that is genuinely my fault I think about that every once in a while I'm like man that wasn't cool <laughs> That is the unfortunate thing about that that setup mm -hmm. is there is literally a jam-packed neighborhood maybe 50, 60 feet from the maybe. back of the state. Yeah, and like that's inconvenient for them as, you know, people who just are living in a town. 
And then like with nothing more, it was a case of like, okay, now we have to back our 53 foot trailer straight down this like, like really narrow neighborhood buses are, are struggling to get there in part. Like it, it as, as now as a touring engineer, I've had those days where you kind of like, you get out of the bus and you go, Oh, okay. I'm it. This is a day I'm going to live on the bus. <laughs> like the great green room. If there is one, maybe, I don't know. And those are fine. Those can still be fantastic days, but like, I just try to now knowing how that feels is now what I try to think about when I'm the house engineer in those positions. Like, okay, well that, even though I can't control where they put the stage, I can try to like make this guy's day in every other way as easy as I can. Yeah. It definitely have having many more tours under my belt than I did in that first upheaval. I echo and agree with everything you just Mm -hmm. mentioned because it does, you begin to appreciate it and you begin to look at it from the other side. And then that makes your decisions and, and paths maybe a little bit different, but also in favor of the touring party. Mm-hmm, for sure. Okay. Let's, we're, we're running out of time. <laughs> I'm trying to fit all of this in here. It's hard to catch up on 16, 18 months worth of stuff in one episode. Yeah. But so you mentioned of virtue, rainbow seekers and Bill Murray. Talk us through some of those gigs and your responsibility and what you were doing with them all of those gigs those were all i am the only audio engineer um i'm usually the only tech of any sort with bill murray um frankie he's been their monitor guy tech stage end for now as long as i've heard of the band touring in any major way luckily that band is also you know full of like proper audio nerds so thus everyone's got the m32 app on their phones and they're pretty self-contained on a monitor side of it so really i was just front of house and just kind of overall dude for bill murray that was a really fun tour that was the one i used um that was the fun part about that bill murray tour specifically is because we were going to new york city and we had just enough gear and just enough merch where they figured out we don't need a trailer behind the sprinter we could do it technically in just you know just the sprinter in just like the cargo bay in the back and at that point i did not have my c1500 i only had my c3500 so i was like crap i really want to take this thing and like rock it but what am i going to do and i kind of just went down the rabbit hole and ended up devising a uh, a director rig of just two touch screens and then like an intel nook on a guitar pedal board with like a switch and then like I had my, I put my Dante card in my CDM rack and then just ran one cable. And you you know how there's the two ports on the front of them. You can just, it's just a switch. And I just would go in one, hop into the other into the card. So I just do a single cat run every day and I could do virtual playback. And I just put my MacBook next to it. Um, And that was just so clutch having that consistency and having being on that small of a package. And honestly, I feel like I got some of my best mixes of the year with that band. In part in part because the band is just fantastic and they provide such great tones and then just having the d live you know know-how and everything that that platform offers and that was a really fun one with a virtue i did i've been working on and off with the virtue guys for a couple of years now just kind of as they've needed me and as i've been available really nice guys really good band they're honestly probably the first band that gave me a proper like front of house shot which i am infinitely in debt like in debt to them for that because that's kind of where it all started um but i got my 1500 for that those little runs we did 
like I think five shows together, two of which were opening for a band called Avoid, which is another fantastic band uh, based out of Seattle, kind of like emo metalcore fun, just yes, but still like fantastic active rock, serious XM. Now I'm just saying words. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and then Bad Omens, who is a band that has started to take off. I don't know if you've done an episode with Matt, who is also another D Live guy. So me and him talked about that a good bit when we were out. But I got the 1500 for that. And actually, I got it like a day before the rehearsals. And I was just like, okay, how am I going to? How am I going to do this? And doing fold back in-ears off of it too. So definitely uh, learned a lot about how to make getting to the things you need to get to regularly be right in front of you. Did you use DCA spills for that? Or what was your what was your trick for spilling out your, your fold back channels? I did DCAs, but I didn't have to spill them very often. Um, just like by means of like, oh, I, I want to take all my tracks, my track tracks. <laughs> Um, and just having it be under one thing. Cause I'm pretty, I will say I'm pretty heavy handed in compression and stuff. So when I kind of decide a source is going to be that loud consistently, it's usually there. So I don't have to nudge it too, too much. Um, and tracks are definitely one of those things because of all, mainly of how inconsistently the tracks are mastered. I mean, when you're getting tracks from this album cycle and that album cycle and all oh, this one's stemmed out. Well, this one's not, this one might be mono. Like it's just uh, it's such a crapshoot and just finding ways to make sure they all kind of try to occupy the same space. So DCAs, I did start doing DCA spills. I stole, I think from a video way early on from Drew Thornton of just having a tech spill just to get to like my iPod and my matrices and just like the stuff that I start and stop my show or like tune my PA with um rather than having that occupy a whole layer because i honestly when i do a lot of these bands uh i worked with uh, also keith wallen who plays in breaking benjamin and that was one of the other that was the first tour i did fold back ears on the d live and i did double patching and it's easier on a 3500 because you have more layers but on the 1500 if you start if i have double patching and i want to be able to get to both sets of inputs i run out of room really quick um so having that tech spill basically just deletes a whole tech layer that I was using previously. And that's kind of, now that I've done so many tours and so many runs, I've started finally developing like, this is my C1500 start file. Like these are the bits that I need in every file, regardless of what band and what instrumentation. I just need to have that consistency. Because I go from, you know, five input hip hop thing to 35 input, two saxes, flute, bongos, drum kit, tracks, two keyboards, four vocalists, Joe Hurtler gig, and then like a four-piece rock band. And just kind of, it's just so all over the place that I've needed to now develop like a, I always have a tech spill. I always have like a star, like this is my homepage that I'm always on this. And my homepage kind of always looks the same. It's like, I, I get to all the instruments I have to. And it's usually vocals. I usually have like a layer that just has all my vocals and my right hand is just on that the entire show. My rightmost fader, number 12, has I've worn the paint off of it because that always has my vocal group. I'm stealing your idea of putting the tech stuff on a, a DCA and then getting rid of that. That'll free up some real estate. Mm -hmm. But I, I like having that. And I just have, you know, because I always have more soft keys usually that I can burn. So I'll just have it like on a soft key and just... My, like, it's interesting hearing that you do like the group thing. My like 
if I'm like looking down at my console, it's like the like left four faders are like affects returns or sends depending on when I made the file and what I'm feeling like, honestly, and like what makes the most sense. And then after that is usually some form of instrument. The instruments that I feel like I have to ride the most um, tends usually be guitars and like keys or saxophone. Um, things that if they have a solo at any moment and I need to like push them forward, like bass doesn't need that usually. My drum kit kind of is my, my bass and my drum kit are my constant kind of throughout my show. And then everything else just kind of like moves around it. Um, and then uh, if I can fit all of my vocals individually, I'll put them all right there. If not, I'll probably end up making a background vocal and then whoever is my lead vocalist, they get always their own fader. And that one's usually almost like always 10 dB louder than everything else. And I'm just like always pushing that and kind of battling my own compression just to kind of like move that forward and move everything else back. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. We were, I was talking to Logan and Elmo from Trinity of Terror Tour. And we were talking about listening back to your mixes on social media. So somebody at the show records a song and throws it up on YouTube or Instagram mm-hmm. or whatever. I hear those recordings and the vocal, my vocals sound like they're 20 dB louder than anything else. But then I listen to my board mix and it's not, it's louder, but it's not that loud. Mm-hmm. And it's just funny because so many phones key off of like vocal frequencies and sort of compress everything around the vocal frequency so it always makes it seem a little bit louder so for a while i would freak out I, would, I was like man my vocals are so prevalent uh which of course the band loves mm-hmm. but as an engineer i'm like oh i gotta i gotta balance that out a little bit but then i realized it's mostly the phone playing tricks on you and, and sort of forcing you to believe that it was louder than it actually was it's interesting how the, the instagram video the tiktok video the snapchat Facebook Live, that these are now another medium that we are indirectly mixing for. I mean, in like, if it sounds good in the room, it probably sounds good on Facebook, but it is fascinating that that's just another destination that we have to worry about. Same with the professionally shot video that they want the mix after the fact, like, you know, the incarceration, like recap videos that everyone does, and like, you know, festival date stuff, like, it's just interesting. It's not just about, oh, it sounded good in the room because I feel like it'd be a lot easier for me to do stuff if I only had to make it sound good right now. That's it. No other time. But I'm constantly like, uh, but someone's going to ask me for a board mix for this video. And then there's someone's going to want to do a live thing. Yeah. Have you had to mix any like drum playback videos where it's the the drummer sets up a GoPro and then they want you to remix the audio from a show so that they can throw it in their GoPro video. I haven't been asked to do that. I'm always tracking because I I mean, selfishly, I'm a drummer and I eat that kind of content up. So I'm always like, oh, I always want to have that ready in case they ask. Uh, Or wait, Uh, no, I didn't mix it. We did, I did one for a void, but they just, I just sent them um, a multi-track because those guys are all actually really good audio engineers. And like, they were able to take what I had and like really make it awesome. Yeah, it's funny. I got asked to do a couple of those playback videos where it's the situation exactly GoPro parked behind the drum set drummer playing his heart out, but the GoPro audio is just all cymbals and, and snare. And so I've tracked like you, I multi-track every single show now because a, I have the ability to do it and b it's selfish. I want to be able to go back and mix yeah. 
on days off or or whatever to try and make it better. Or like COVID 2024 or whatever. Oh, <laughs> hush your mouth. Oh my gosh. He did not say that. Universe, you did not hear that. We don't need that. Uh, I, I don't really hope not. Oh my God. <laughs> but I mixed, I mixed this uh, audio playback from one of our shows and I sent it to the drummer and he's like, dude, that sounds really awesome, but it doesn't sound like it would sound back at the drum kit. And I was like, oh, yeah, I made it like a front house mix. So mm. had to had to work some magic to make it sound like you were hearing the PA behind the drum oh. kit, you know, or <laughs> actually in front of the drum kit. Did you use the GoPro audio at all? No, no, I did it all with, mm-hmm. uh, I did some, pulled in some ambient room mics that I had. Mm-hmm. And then I did like a telephone filter on a lot of stuff on my channels just to make it sound thinner and more distant and mm-hmm. delayed it just slightly. And then had the drums, you know, fully prevalent and like I would have had them in the live show. And it worked out pretty well. He, everybody was happy with it. But yeah, the, the things that most people probably don't think about when they watch a video like that is, you know, is it live or is it Memorex type of a thing? It's, <laughs> I just uh, gave people a look behind the curtain. Okay, we're coming up on one hour here. I wanted to talk about one of the other big gigs that you've had and will have going forward, mm-hmm. and that is with one of our mutually favorite bands on the planet, nicest guys ever, mm-hmm. and that would be Steel Panther. Talk a little bit about that gig and your role with them, if you don't mind. Yeah, I mean, I have to thank you for that connection. Um, I got a text from you at some point that just said, hey, would you?" Be? I think all you asked was like, would you want to do a Steel Panther show? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> And uh, as sort of a background, like I grew up, um, my dad was a tour manager and guitar tech, and I grew up surrounded by hair metal. Like my first like experiences with the music industry were like going and seeing the buddies in Firehouse and Warrant and Winger and all that stuff. So like I came from a place of knowing kind of what those bands were like. And this is, you know, in the last like 10 years. So it's these bands were not in their heyday. They were still very much in their kind of nostalgia act as they are, I would say they are now. And uh, yeah, I just got a call from Nick who loved that guy to death. Um, And we did, uh, (laughs) I'd never talked to Nick before. And he's like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, good. He's like, so yeah, we're going to do this festival. It's called the Gathering of the Juggalos. And I'm like, this is the most ridiculous first fly day I've ever had is I'm going to go work with Steel Panther at the Gathering of the Juggalos. (laughs) And it was so much fun. And like, it, what's funny is like, it's, it was everything that should have stressed me out or maybe a lot of people out on a new gig would it's, it wasn't the desk that we advanced. I was supposed to get a profile. It was a pro two. Luckily I know the pro two and luckily Nick is Nick and he has files for like every desk on the planet. Like if analog desks had files, Nick would have one for steel Panther for them. And uh, it was a great day. And like, it's a combination of Nick being good and also that band just being not only just the most top-notch musicians, um, but also just being amazing human beings and just super relaxed. You can tell they've been doing it for so long at that there's no point in getting angry and stressed over things that we can't control. Let's just go have a good show and have a good time. And that's kind of like the whole Steel Panther energy. And I think that's why their show's are so good and everyone just has a great time with steel panther no matter what um yeah very blessed to have did that one off and just expressed my interest like hey if you need a guy because nick had mentioned there's kind of 
a fluctuating cast of monitor engineers for Steel Panther. I was like, if you need someone, like I, I'm happy to do more shows. You guys are really fun. You guys handle everything on the business side, how I like it be handled, because it doesn't always go that way. And yeah, we ended up doing, I've done now, I did the last back half of Canada with them, did a little US run. And then now we're gearing up to do at the end of February, a nice long six week US run uh, to support their new record that's going to come out here pretty soon. That new song of theirs is a banger, 1987. Have you? Mm-hmm. I'm sure they played it live. It's got to be. Have, they haven't really they haven't played that way. At the time of this recording, I have not heard that song live. I'm assuming we got a fly date coming up in just over a week. We're gonna do the kickoff party at Shiprock, which will be sweet. Um, hoping we play it because, like you said, great song and it's like the lead single. So, yeah, mm-hmm. the video is fun. All their videos are fun, but that that video is is fun too. I grew up in that era so 1987 is a young steve litcher would have just been getting his driver's license in 1987 so that was <laughs> brought back a lot of memories hate to date myself on a podcast that oh geez that <laughs> people listen to but now now those cats out of the bag uh no but really blessed to be a part of that team um super good honorable mentions of 2022 you hooked me up with bad flower another fantastic team that inch band in general um, who else? I think that I think at this point, and I'm not trying to be name droppy guy. It's just like, wow, it was a really busy year. And I'm honestly just so thankful for all of the various artists and everyone I got to work with. Yeah, it's so crazy. I hate to be the name dropper guy too, but I spent a week or 10, 10 or 12 days with Bad Flower helping out as a TM on on a summer run and the just an amazing band. So mm-hmm. good. Those guys. Top notch. So lucky. I, I just can't, I have to pinch myself every day to think that we get to do the things that we do with the type of people that we get to do that mm-hmm. with. I, I haven't run across a single ego or a problem child or a headache. It's just been amazing. I, I imagine your your 2022 is very similar. Mm-hmm. Very. Yeah. It's so cool. Well, should we put a bow on this? Oh, I want to ask you one additional question. Mm-hmm. What is one of the coolest or best things you discovered or learned in 2022? Like what's a trick or something that you didn't start the year necessarily with, discovered it, and now you're like, oh man, I've got to do this all the time. Does it have to be technical? No, it can be anything. Mm. Honestly, just being, trying to be the goofiest guy in the room and make people laugh is just setting the tone like when you walk into a venue is massive and i knew that but like it was just it's like exacerbated this year that if you you know if you walk into a room and you shake the house guy's hand you make it known that hey like i'm not better than you you're not better than me we're just both trying to have fun here and like just trying to sustain that that's been like to me the best trick of like just having good days on the road, regardless of what room size or anyone, you know, as a guest engineer walking into a room, just kind of treating it like, you know what, this isn't my castle. Cause I've, you know, I've been a house guy enough that some, some guys like to treat it like this is my room and everyone gets to do exactly what I say. I, I, my mindset's the complete opposite. I'm like, I'm just here to have fun. I'm going to fit in where I can and we're just going to have a good time. And, I think people are really drawn to that. The bands, I feel like the people who end up hiring you are very drawn to that. It's just a 
a nice way to get more work by just being a good human being. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. I, I profess that, you know, I've got these opportunities because in a dark room, the dim bulb shines bright. And with 2022 being so busy and so many people being not available, I probably got calls that I wouldn't have gotten had we not been in the situation we were in. 100% agree on my end too. <laughs> but very much like you, I just try to be the good hang, the guy with good vibes, crack mm -hmm. as many jokes as I can, but still get my job done. Mm -hmm. And I really hate walking into a venue and having to be the guy that has to tell people what to do. I'm so appreciative of the good crews where we're tearing down at the end of the gig and somebody's coiling up my drum looms. They're taking, taking a unpatching my monitor rack or whatever. And everything is, I don't have to direct people. And I really mm -hmm. appreciate that. It's such a great thing. They like take, they, they put forth that effort because they've been just so pleased with how you've treated them that they want to show you that same kindness of like, maybe they wouldn't have done that, you know, maybe they got cut, you know, maybe 30 minutes ago, but because you were a cool guy and like you made them have a good day, he's going to help you coil <laughs> your drum snake because yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, we've had a, we did have a few of those where people just hung out either because they liked Atreyu. Atreyu is such a crazy band. It's, they, they were big, you know, in 2004 to 2000, whatever. And the first thing I hear from everybody at a new show or a new venue is, oh man, I listened to those guys so much in high school. And then, <laughs> and then they they meet the Atreyu guys and they're so unbelievably cool and easy. They're just like the Steel Panther guys, like just the mm -hmm. greatest humans ever. And then everybody around them just wants to help out, even if they're not on the clock. It's it's just really, like you said, a, a blessing. And yeah, pinch myself every single day. So mm -hmm. thank you, whatever higher power is out there that gave me and gave you these opportunities. We are definitely grateful. Absolutely. All right, sir. Well, I think we will call it a podcast. It was great to catch up with you. I really appreciate you taking the time to sort of share what happened over the last dozen or so months and what you've done. What do you got coming up? Anything really cool that you can talk about other than the Steel Panther stuff? Um, a few things in the works. I may have another a little bit of fly date action, um, doing some more front of house tech work for Gateway with a decent sized R&B artist not not anyone I had heard of before but I actually I mentioned to like Nick and he knew who, who they were um so that might be happening and then just kind of slowly booking stuff throughout the year for myself touring wise and also I'm uh for my company I mean the kind uh, like our I think we filled every weekend in June already at this point um some of our stages are already booked solid for months and it's just like Wow, which is, yeah, I mean, it's, it's January 11th when we're recording this. And, like, I don't know. I don't feel like people call that early. So something, something's happening. So, yeah. Cool. And then real quickly, too, before we go, your band, Assume Nothing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Monsters. Oh, my God. I got to mix you guys in Michigan back in That's right. February of last year. On an unfortunate PA, but you had a good time. <laughs> I did. The, the PA left much to be desired, but we made it work, and it sounded great. Mm -hmm. uh, what are you guys doing this year? Got anything coming out? Got any new stuff going on? I, I asked this question knowing the answer, but I wanted to set you up. I think there's another song coming out, uh, hopefully this month, I think. I have to talk to Derek. I've been so busy on the on the touring game that I've just kind of been like, ah, just do whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever happens, happens. Um, and then we've got a handful of other songs. And there's a we I think we did officially announce the EP we're gonna do. Um, it is done. 
Uh, I have no idea when it's going to come out. Probably spring sometime. Um, there's a bunch of interesting songs on it. Some of them are out, some of them aren't. And that's kind of like all that's on that. Looking to play shows as we can and just kind of, uh, yeah. Derek is also in of virtue, I believe, officially. Maybe not officially, but like he he's in of virtue. So between me usually being front of house production manager for them, him playing in that band, if a virtue goes out, usually assume nothing can't do anything and we share gear all the time too so well call me if you need somebody to mix you guys because i really had a blast doing it it was really fun so all right shameless self-promotion and uh trying to get hired aside (laughs) now for the third time i believe i'm in true Midwest fashion. Right, this is the Midwest <laughs> goodbye. Hey, can I get you a hot dish real quick and maybe yep, change the yeah. oil on your car before you like go? 90 minutes later, you're still here. <laughs> right. That's right. Two Midwesterners trying to say goodbye is uh, not For a good real. thing. But, oh, my goodness. All right. Well, my friend, uh, always great to see you. Always great to talk with you. I'm so stoked on everything you've got coming up. Please give my best Likewise. to Nick and the Panther Boys. Mm-hmm. And I really hope that I get to see you at Upheaval 2023. Mm-hmm. And then I also hope that I just run into you either at the shop or on the road somewhere along the way. Absolutely. It'd be, be a good time. Crossing paths with tour buddies is the best. And that's a wrap on this episode of Mix Masters. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please be sure to subscribe and then tell a friend or maybe leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd certainly appreciate it. I produce Mixmasters on the Allen & Heath D-Live system with Shure microphones and a little help from Apple's Logic Pro X and some Waves SoundGrid plugins. One more round of thanks to Merritt Goodwin for the music. And until next time, stay safe and healthy, and thanks again for listening.